preach on eight keys to a stable and thriving marriage. Those of you that are married, do you want it to be stable? You want it to be stable? You want it to thrive? I think most people um, would. I don't think anybody just wishes, oh, I just hope my marriage fails. Uh, maybe some when they're already going through a hardship and they refuse to get things um, right with the Lord, then they maybe hope it fails. But one of the greatest gifts that God gave mankind in general was the institution of marriage. Beginning with the first man created, Adam, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And so that God, the Creator, He's the one that said and saw that it was not good that man should be alone. So He said that He created a help me for him. Now there is an exception to that. You know that sometimes we raise our children um, and, our, and we kind of teach and think that the thing you look forward to um, is marriage. And it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But it is not God's will for everybody. Okay, there is a rare exception of those whom God has called to be celibate, to be single. You know, like Jesus spoke about there are um, some eunuchs um, made of men. There are um, some eunuchs that are born that way. There are some eunuchs um, that are made this way for the kingdom of heaven's sake. That, that Paul wrote about those that received a gift to abide even as he was um, single um, at the time and in the present distress. And so he says, he said it's better in his view to abide single during that present distress. And he said if they married, they have their proper gift of God. But there are some whom God never calls to get married. They ought not to be pressured into it or feel shame um, because they have not um, been married. However, for the vast majority of mankind, it is not good that man should be alone. That marriage was God's design for um, companionship, um, for a means of a family. Nevertheless, in the fallen world, with the uniting of sinners, two sinners, every marriage is going to have challenges. There's not going to be any marriage that's not going to have any challenges. Marriage involves tough adjustments, conflicts, unique difficulties that singleness does not have. And as Paul wrote, you know, he that is single is able to give attention solely to the things of the Lord. Where those that are married have to give attention to the things of this world. How they may please their wife. How they may please their husband and, and caring and taking care of them. And so there's a lot, um, um, a lot more responsibilities when someone is um, married. The Bible says um, that in 1 Corinthians 7.28, Such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And so Paul wrote that. You know what? Marriage is a wonderful thing, but you will have trouble in the flesh. When these troubles come, then often comes divorce or um, agreements to just be roommates from now on. Some say, you know, until the children grow up. 
But it's far-fetched from the minds of the new bride and new groom. They're not thinking that about the difficulties they may encounter in their marriage down the road. And so in their vows, they say for better or for worse. But when worse comes, they give up so easily. Their dream initially was to have a stable, a thriving marriage where they truly live happily after. And we're going to talk about eight keys that will help that dream of a stable and thriving marriage be a reality in a chaotic world. Now, the Bible doesn't say, okay, here's eight keys. You know, initially I had seven keys. And then there was a big one that came on. And I was like, there's eight keys. No, we could come up with ten keys. You know, we come up with a hundred keys. Okay? But we're just going to deal with eight keys today. And I believe it would really be beneficial in having um, people have a prosperous um, marriage. And number one, it's a walk with Christ. Be determined that in your marriage you are going to walk with Jesus Christ. Psalms 128.1 says, Blessed is everyone that fear of the Lord, that walketh in His ways. And the Bible says we're blessed if we're walking in His ways. The Bible says to walk even as He walked. To walk as Jesus Christ walked. There are many people that no doubt will say that they feel as they have a pretty good marriage. And they probably do. Yet no marriage is really all it can be without a walk with Christ. There needs to be that walk with Christ to really be all that it can be. And I'm not talking about simply attending a church service with your family. Especially when the husband goes to church simply to please his wife. I'm talking about a genuine walk with God where Christ is truly preeminent in the hearts and minds of both the husband and wife. Jesus is already preeminent, but many times in our hearts, He is not. That there is a real desire to read the Word of God. A desire to spend time in prayer. To actively be involved in the ministry of the local church. And you intentionally grow spiritually unto the Lord and you grow together. So oftentimes, men leave the spiritual nourishment of their children to their wives. And it is a twofold that, you know what, the wife is to be involved in the nourishment of their children. She's not supposed to lack that. But the husband is to lead in that. Christ is the glue that will keep a marriage together through rocky times. And He'll also be as the wind in yourselves when your marriage is thriving. When it just seems like nothing could go wrong. Where, man, things are going wonderful. You know, like Jesus is there on both sides. When you're going through hard times or when it's thriving. You know, I recommend sometime taking a moment to read all of Psalm 63 together. Psalm 63. And strive to have that kind of passion that the psalmist had with his walk with the Lord. I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, in verse 1, that the psalmist says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. 
My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In verse 8, he says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. That the psalmist, he longed for God. You know, going into the sanctuary. Oh, okay, we went, we go, and we do our duty. We go to church because that's what mom wants to do. Or we're just going to church because that's what dad wants to do. No, there's a longing for God. That the reason we want to be in church, we don't want to forsake the assembling of the body of Christ. That we want to come, we want to worship together of our Savior, of our King, of kings. And so if we're genuinely going to have a marriage that's going to be stable and that's going to thrive, that each of us needs to have a personal walk with God. That our walk ought not to be dependent on just that of our spouses. The wife shouldn't lean just on her husband for her walk with God. And vice versa. That they both personally need to have a walk with God. Number two. Accept that life is a struggle. Simple. Not very novel but accept that life is a struggle. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Few days and full of trouble. Ecclesiastes 2.22 says, For what have man of all to his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he have labored under the sun. For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. You know what? Many times life just seems like vanity. There's struggles. There's hardships. There's trials. There's hearts that are broken. It is our nature to want to be comfortable in life. I don't know anybody that wishes and hopes that they struggle financially. I don't know anybody that says, God, please give me poor health. Nobody likes the small inconveniences in life. They can feel weighty when they pile on and on and feel like a setback where you're trying to get ahead over here, you keep falling behind over here, which then makes you fall behind over here. Get a winter time. You know, we had our car breakdown where it was undrivable. You know, and our dishwasher broke. It still broke. Um, then our dryer quit um, producing heat. Disassembled it, fixed it, working great. Two months later, broke again. Dissembled again, checked all the other parts. All the other parts this time go, there must have been another part that was not fixed, replaced, and that's what triggered this alarm to shut it off for safety reasons. Um, you know what? Check the duct, it's completely clear. And so it's like, mm, all the other parts were just fine. I replaced them all just in case. Maybe they were registering fine. 
and they're still working right now, but it's only been about a week. So pray that it doesn't break down right away again. But then it was the next day after I got it fixed. This is just last week or two weeks ago, maybe it was. My computer screen broke. Use that for personal use, use that for ministry, use that for business use. And it's one of those things none of the kids want to confess what happened to it. <laughs> you know, even pastor's kids, you can't always get out of everyone. And it could have been, it could have been a complete accident where maybe no one knew. Who knows? Um, so it was C on it. So that's good. But saying sometimes just the inconveniences in life. You know, those are not great tragedies. But they're struggles in life. They're, they're little inconveniences that happen and that could be a setback. You know, with the slaying of Molly Tibbetts, no family ever wishes something like that upon anybody, even upon their enemies. No one wishes for cancer. A lot of these hardships, you know, they bring tears to people's eyes. They bring heartbreak. Life is full of trouble. Life is going to be a struggle. Parenting can feel overwhelming at times. Being a grandparent, no doubt, could be overwhelming when you see that your, your children aren't disciplining their children. Because you don't want to help. You just want to spoil them anyways. <laughs> you want to cause them to get in trouble. You know, you spoil them so much and they're in trouble and then get on your children for not disciplining. Uh, most parents, if they're honest, don't have the mindset of, I'm doing totally amazing at raising my kids and educating them. It's a real struggle. Such is life. We could panic and waste our life complaining about the difficulties of our life, or we could choose to embrace the struggle and accept that it's a challenge, that we're going to get through it. Understand that life is a spiritual warfare. We should never surrender our marriage on the altar of hardships to the devil. Never. Everything we're so hardship, life is such a struggle. So here, devil, here is my marriage. You could have it. You could destroy it. I'm done. When life is unstable, we're not to give up on our spouse. We're to let the Lord to be our strength while we trust in His sovereignty together. Psalm of Solomon 8, verse 6 says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown. It's what our love ought to be like. That, you know, even like the coals of fire, that they're so hot. And that even in the floods, the waters cannot put out the flame of our marriage. But marriage that wasn't built upon love. Genuine love. As the Bible goes on, if a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contempt. Now, if someone was trying to buy love by purchasing, trying to win them with money or whatever it may be, it's not going to be a healthy marriage. It's going to be one of contempt. 
Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, in your marriage, if you're married, you're going to go through struggles. There are going to be hardships. Accept that. Now, when I say accept that, I don't mean, okay, you know what? Let's just let it be as strugglesome as possible. Well, I'm not saying let's content with it being a struggle. Okay, let's work on it. Let's work on the struggles so that those particular struggles are not going on. But many times, it's not an actual direct struggle in the marriage. It's all the outside circumstances that happen that make a struggle in our life. You know, see that John McCain passed away um, yesterday. War hero in, in Vietnam and everything. Prisoner of war. And um, they always agree with his politics. Like, I don't think anyone would, but definitely was the man that loved his country. But then I saw that he was divorced. I never, never knew that. And so I started to do research. Why, why was he divorced? Was it the post-traumatic um, just from after the war or what? Like, just that would have been a special time when he would have reunited with his wife after that. And he didn't get divorced right away. It was years later. Um, but then I saw that he said that, um, this isn't quote for quote, but that he said, you know, many people wonder if my first marriage failed because of just the effects of the war. And he said it had nothing to do with that. It had to deal with completely that I was immature. That I was immature, I was selfish, and that's why my marriage did not last. And then his wife, um, she basically said the same thing um, in regards to him, said that it was that, you know what, my husband was 40 years old, but he wanted to be 25 again. And so you know what? Their marriage didn't work out. It could have. could have. Number three. They're realizing that life is going to have the struggles. That just because life has the struggles doesn't mean we take it out on each other. We need to remember you're a team. You're a team together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he have not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two are better than one. Realize that you are on the same team. When you get in a heated discussion, when you're in an argument, back up a little and realize, you know what? We are on the same team. And act like it. Don't be passive-aggressive. You know what? Don't air your dirty laundry on social media. Man, what a pain it is. You know, you see other people's dirty laundry on social media, and that's the one thing that does make me want to say, you know, maybe just want to block them. You know, I don't want to hear their dirty laundry all the time. 
Now, always coming in the sense of, hey, pastor, we need counsel. Here's our dirty laundry. Could you help us? That's different. But when you're just airing it, you're gossiping about it on the internet, it doesn't look good. You know, I've even asked some people before, so like, oh, okay, especially when they're not married, okay, oh, you're back together again. You know what? You've slandered him. You've been back together and off like 10 different times. What's going on? You know, the thing is that in a marriage, it often happens, you know, when we complain about our spouse, whether it's to our family, friends, oftentimes we're able to get it resolved. They don't know necessarily it's been resolved, but they remember the nasty stuff you posted online. And they think, oh man, what are you guys still doing together? You know, don't, don't put that stuff out there like that. Same thing with your children. You know, don't air the bad things, the problems you've had with your children. You know, you want to lift them up. Admonish them, correct them privately, publicly, praise them when it is due. You know, when, when your children are struggling in certain areas, the best practice isn't to retort to attacking your spouse. Yes, you maybe are having trouble raising a child. But you're on the same team. You're not enemies on who could be the better parent. You're not in a competition. When finances are a burden, the solution isn't to blame each other. Even if the other person is worthy of the blame. You know what? Let God work on that in their heart. But you don't throw the blame. Act like mature adults and be like, let's make a plan together. Let's set goals on how we could get debt free again. Um, is the primary an income problem? Is it an expense problem? Maybe it's both. Or maybe it's simply a communication problem. Work on it together. Plan it together. You're not enemies, so don't act like it. And where we fall short, just keep calling upon God and trusting in Him through the storm. You're on the same team. And that would help a lot of marriages if they just realize, you know what? We're married, we're two, and we're both on the same team. We're married together. Let's go out, let's go into this world, conquer the world together. The struggles that come our way, the hardships, the heartbreak, let's do this together. Number four, forgiveness. If our marriage is going to thrive, we must be the one that extends forgiveness for the other's shortcomings. Dictionary definition is stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, to cancel a debt, to pardon. Oftentimes, when you look at different words, you could see how different words are combined together and kind of sense their etymology. The word therefore in the Bible. Well, you kind of could go, what? Why is it therefore? You know what? You could see, read after, read before, or be, wherefore would be you look before, therefore you read after. You're checking what it's there for. Forgive. I was kind of like, I don't get that one. Okay, there's four, and there's give. Okay, now forgiveness is something you are giving. 
I'm like, I want to know the etymology of it. And the etymology of it, it was the English word from coming to German, and then, of course, it's in Greek and everything as well. But it's to give up desire or power to punish. To give up the desire or the power to punish. You know, when the President of the United States gives a pardon, you know what? There is the power of punishment. Punishment of the crimes. But it's able to be pardoned. It's able to be forgiven as if it never had happened. Same with our forgiveness. You know, really, we don't have the power to punish our spouse. You know what? God is the judge. But we do have the power to give up the desire to punish our spouse. And that could be in different ways. Oftentimes, the wife will try to be the silent treatment or just throw her arms up. They'll find You just not want to talk about it. Any wife's guilty of that? Don't have to raise your hand. Your husband knows. <laughs> And men could be the same way. Men get angry, furious, all kinds of things. I also looked up, when was the first time forgiveness was mentioned in the Bible? You know, I kind of assume that it's with Adam and Eve. You definitely see an act of forgiveness. You see God coating them um, with skin, shed, shed with blood. It's a picture of the sacrifice the Lamb of God would one day be. However, you don't see the word forgive ever there. You don't see the word forgive until Genesis chapter 50 and verse 17. When Joseph's brothers come unto Joseph. And it's when he, he is already next in line to Pharaoh. He says, So shall you say unto Joseph, they're saying this what our father said, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Okay, now Joseph was right next to Pharaoh in power. Pharaoh was the only one that ruled over him. Joseph ruled over everyone else. What did his brothers initially do? They were jealous of him. They were envious. Some of them wanted to kill him. Instead, they just beat him up real bad and lied and acted like he was killed. Sold him into slavery. Man, pretty wicked, evil brothers. And they my children. I can't imagine one of my children doing that to his siblings. It's evil. It's wicked. Now Joseph's in control now. He knows his brothers are there. His brothers are there. They need, they need food. They, they've been having a family. It was in Joseph's power to punish them. But he forgave. He gave up any desire or power to punish them. And he said that you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. That through those difficult circumstances that God is able to work all things together for good to them that love God, as the Bible says in Romans. And that, that was Joseph's mentality. That these bad situations happen. 
But God made good out of it. And that Joseph was to sacrifice. The brothers sacrificed him in this slavery. And he ended up being the one that would save his people. That would save them in the family. Picture of Jesus. who became our sacrifice. And he forgave us. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let the bitterness, let the wrath go. The malice, the clamor, all malice, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That because of what Jesus has done for you, God forgives us. And likewise, we ought to forgive as He has forgiven us. Without the willingness to confess our faults, a marriage is going to have tremendous troubles. We think we're the ones that are always right. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride come of contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, pride will destroy a marriage. It will weigh a marriage down. And so without being willing to confess their faults, there's going to be a lot of trouble. But likewise, without the willingness to forgive, the couple is going to have beyond trouble in the flesh. It's going to be miserable being roommates together. Being full of bitterness. Or maybe eventually divorce. Proverbs 16.27 says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and his lips there is as a burning fire. Yeah, ungodly man diggeth up evil. See, an ungodly man is someone that is always digging up the past. They're always bringing it up. Maybe he or she hurt the other in some fashion. Maybe he or she caused amazing financial problems. You know, I know a family outside of this church that, you know, years ago, the wife heard on the radio this wonderful investment opportunity. Transferred their money into it. Was this complete scam? Yeah, I think any of you would be angry if your spouse lost twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, you better be upset. Well, you know, even something like that, there needs to come a time where, okay, you know what? We forgive. You know, let's work together. We're on the team. Let's not make these kind of mistakes again. Let's talk about it before we do it. Okay. Okay. Number five. Have dates even when you can't. Especially for young families with children. Okay. Um, as far as when you maybe are unable to. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being ears together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
And so here the Bible says, dwell with them according to knowledge. The reason the husband needs to dwell with their wife so much is because she's always changing. You've got to know where she's at, what she's thinking the next day. But what's her favorite coffee yesterday may not be today. Man, my wife used to always go with Starbucks. And then all of a sudden, she hated Starbucks. Starbucks, and it wasn't there because it's politically liberal. It was just, she's like, I don't like their coffee. Before it was, they're the only ones that know how to make it consistently. And so I admire her. No, and then lately, or sometimes she'd go with Starbucks if there was nothing else. I'm like, oh no, you said coffee's disgusting. Why are you drinking something you think's disgusting? I still don't understand that. But, um, but then she'll try to say, you'll eat stuff you say it's disgusting. No, I won't. And she'll try to give me an example. You said that um, candy was gross, but you're still eating it. And stuff. So she might be right there sometimes. Um, it's like, well, it's just there. Guess you just eat it. Okay? But dwell with them according to knowledge. It means you need to spend time together. And many times it gets difficult. You know, it gets difficult if both spouses are working. We're going to talk about that um, in a little bit. But um, when we're, um, maybe you're in an area, you live somewhere, you don't have parents nearby, the Webbers, um, they're over at BBS, neither of their parents live here, but Anthony's parents are here. Blessing is to have them here. But before, they maybe would have been able to babysit the kids. For Anthony and Sarah go on today. Not anymore. They're gone. That's where we as a church family, we could kind of maybe think, hey, you know what? Maybe they do need to go on a date. Maybe we'll offer to um, watch their kids for them. You know what? That would be a good idea, a nice thing to do. But meantime, to be in an area and there's nobody to watch their kids, but they still need time together. And so there's going to need to be times where you say, okay, we're going to put the children to bed early. We're going to spend time together. You know what? Maybe you're going to say, okay, kids, you're going to go play a game. And many times you just go in a room just to talk. Cast some vision. Just talk. Getting to know about, getting to know about the day. How things went. Get to know. Spend time together even when you maybe can't go out on a formal day. Take time to dwell with one another according to knowledge. Have tea time together at the home or whatever it may be. But spend time together. Couples that spend time together, their marriage is going to be more stable and it's potential to thrive. Number six, wives and husbands embrace the Bible's description of roles for a husband and wife. Go ahead and turn you Colossians 3. But embrace it. We live in a day, a culture, where yes, everything in the Bible is pretty much the Bible's way. It's not relevant today. It's a matter of it's relevant to today's society. It matters, is it what God said? And if it's what God said, it's relevant to us. Okay, the world maybe disregards it. And you know, in God's word isn't to be grievous to us. Okay, God's word was for our benefit. 
Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now whatever we do, in our word, in our deed, we're to do it in the name, in the authority of, in the power of Jesus Christ. That we're doing it to glorify Him. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. That's not popular today. Okay? The culture says, okay, you know what? You're a mouth chauvinist if you teach that wife is to submit to her husband. Now, it's, in part, it's because many Christians have taken that verse, many non-Christians, okay? People that don't believe in God. They know somewhere in that book it says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's their tone. That's their attitude. And the husbands miss the very next part that says, Husbands, love your wives as it is fit in the Lord. Okay, submission's biblical. Okay, you know what? A servant and employee submitting to their master, to their employer. Okay, when I was working under someone else, I did not feel like I was invaluable in my value or in my work. I didn't start screaming, oh, this is some kind of discrimination because I have a boss that I have to submit to him. Oh, you know what? God's meantime's given different places of authority. You know, a police officer pulls me over. I don't just speed off and go, who are you to have control over me? You're not my authority. I'm going to do what I want. You know what? There's going to be consequences I face if I do that too. And so in God's plan, we don't have to understand it. You can try it if you want, okay? But God has taught that the wife is to submit to her husband's leadership. The Bible even teaches at times, okay, okay, you know, if anyone have a question, okay, let them ask their husbands at home. You know, sometimes there maybe is a group discussion. Sometimes talking with a couple and they're both asking questions, okay? Okay, that's one thing. But say there's something that's taught. And you know what? Sometimes wives go, but you know what? My husband's not as spiritually mature. Or he doesn't have as much spiritual desires. You know what? You might help produce that in him by you asking him the question. You know, let's say I teach on something and Vanessa just, like that kind of seemed odd or I just don't quite understand it. And then she can ask her husband who's spiritually inferior. I'm just kidding, okay? okay? But, okay, she asks her husband, and then he might not know either, okay? He might, I have no idea. But then that could provoke him to study it, to read it, to read about it, and then to teach his wife. And he'd go, hey, you know, let me go ask pastor. You know what? I, grow, I, I don't understand it either. You know what? Maybe we didn't understand them properly or correctly. You know what? Let's... let's do it. And it helps a wife build her husband by her looking to her husband is the spiritual head instead of looking to the pastor is the spiritual head. And again, you know, if wives submit to your husbands, this isn't saying submit to abuse. You know, a husband that's abusing his wife has already forsaken her in that. Okay? We're not saying submit to abuse. We're not saying to be a doormat. 
You know, you look in the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about husbands, love your wives. It's Christ love the church. That's a sacrificial love. Now, while the world, okay, say if they were visiting church today, they would say, I've lost my mind. I'm not, I'm, I'm not living in the times because I teach a message like this. But if they see our marriage, None of them are going to think, wow, you know what? Jason's wife is a doormat. Man, she doesn't have any opinion of her own. Man, she she seems worthless compared to him by their attitude. They're not going to see that. They're not going to think that. They're going to think that, wow, you know what? They really love each other. They have a love for one another. Now, when I teach on it, they may be like, oh, that that doesn't rub me the right way. But you know what? God teaches it. Okay, again, in the military, okay, there's a chain of command. And just because you submit to the other one, it, you may be inferior in rank, but you are not inferior in worth or value. You know what? Me and the President of the United States, we're of equal value. We're of equal worth. Any king in the world, in God's eyes, we are of equal worth value. And that's really we're a bunch of sinners that need the grace of God. The Bible teaches husbands to love their wives. And you know if a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, a wife is going to have no problem following her husband in most cases. You may have a real rebellious wife, still doesn't care how much he loves her, but if a man is loving his wife, treats her with respect, honors her like the weaker vessel. And again, that honoring her like the weaker vessel doesn't mean like, oh, you're a weakling. No, it's saying honor her as the weaker vessel. It's not even saying she is weak. It's saying honor her as the weaker vessel. To protect her, to cherish her, to honor her. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Man, my pages are sticking. I can't even find Titus in my Bible. I don't know what's going on. Titus 2, there it is. Verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. This is Paul writing to another preacher. Hey, this is one reason I'm preaching this, okay? The apostle said, you know what? This is what he's supposed to speak. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. They're talking about how the men are to be the aged men, to be sober, grave. It talks about the younger men um, later on. But here, the aged woman likewise, that they be in behavior is become of holiness. Not false accusers, not giving you much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. 
Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So the older women are to be an example to the younger woman. Okay, to teach the younger woman how to love her husbands, how to be obedient unto their husbands. And understand that, you know, the man is going to give an account to God for the decisions he makes. My wife likes to throw that at me at times. We're going for a difficult decision that we need to make. It's like, you know what, I'm just trusting God. You know what, it's on you, buddy. You know what, you're going to give an account to God about it. She likes to throw that on me. So make sure you're leading us right. You know what? There's been times where, okay, you know what? The um, husband feels like, hey, you know what? God's leading us to move on. And the wife is like, hey, you know what? No, you know what? I think this is where God wants us. And as the pastor, I want to say, you know what? Man, just be a strong woman. And, and you know what? Keep your husband here. But I don't. Say, okay, you know what? You need to follow your husband. You know what? He may be making the right decision. He may be making a poor decision. But you follow him. You struggle together. Such is why. Maybe he'll grow through it. Maybe he'll see, hey, you know what? I think the Lord wants us to go back. You know, we, and I feel for you, woman. That's hard to follow your husband knowing that he's going to make mistakes. It's hard. It's, it's challenging. It, it could be difficult. Mary Case's trace, keepers at home. Something that's really not culturally in society considered acceptable. But you look at the consequences we face as a society because the wife doesn't strive to be a keeper at home. Okay, sometimes we, we have both work for the purpose of what? To try and get ahead financially. To try and just survive at times, okay? But initially, let's, okay, you know what? Let's be able to get a house. But what happened to the house and market? It like more than doubled. And so when society moved to just try to get ahead a little bit, you know what? The market went up and it puts us, we're in the same struggle. Now, is it wrong for a woman to have a job outside the home? Not in all cases, okay? You know, we see that Lydia was the seller of purple. She was a Christian lady. We see the Proverbs 31 woman that she, um, she didn't just stay in her house, okay? When the Bible says keep her at home, it does not mean you never go to the grocery store, you never walk outside. It doesn't mean you stay in those four walls. But that your primary responsibility is in the home. That that is the responsibility that um, you know what are some benefits? You know, I get some interaction. You know, it's a heavy topic. Okay? But what are some benefits of being a keeper at home? Anybody want to share any? What are some blessings? Okay. Okay, the education, the training of them. You get to be involved in their training, in their education. Again, you know what? This is a delicate subject. 
Okay, did something like I haven't thought, you know what, maybe I don't want to preach that. You know what, the Bible talks about some can handle the milk, some can handle the meat. Now it's like it's right in the passage. You know what, and it's um, situation. Okay, you see Deborah, okay, she was a judge, okay, in the Bible, and she was a godly judge. But then she even said it was a shame when the man would not go and fill his responsibilities. She goes, okay, I'll go with you, but it's going to be against your honor. Okay, there wasn't anything wrong with her doing that. Okay, you, know, you know why many times the woman rises in leadership in the church? Okay, when we see, okay, biblically, scripturally, okay, a woman's not to hold the office of a pastor. Again, it doesn't mean they're inferior, but you know why many times they do? Because the men don't lead. The men are pacifists. They're, they just they sit here. They're, there's no leadership. You know, what a blessing it is that, you know what, at Vacation Bible School, we have some men over there. It's not just women. Now, oftentimes, I understand during the week, a lot of times it's going to be the woman. Man, the wonderful, the blessing it is to have women in the church that um, during the week, um, there weren't really hardly any men because they're at work. They're providing for their family. And so sometimes that happens. But many times women rise in leadership because the men are not doing their, their duty. And many women, even when they hate the idea of men in leadership, many of them wish and hope their husbands would just do that. That they would lead. But you think about the benefits of being a keeper at home. And in Timothy, it talks about a woman guiding her house. That you know she gets to have a more direct influence on her children. To be fully involved in the education and influence of them. Training a generation of people that can change an aspect in the world for the good. Now again, sometimes the problem people have with some of these passages isn't the principle or the teaching in it, but it's the manner in which preachers have preached it. Where they have said, basically, that woman, you know what, you just need to be at home. You just stay at home. Well, they hire women to be on their staff. It's very hypocritical. It's kind of crazy for them to have the idea. Nothing wrong with women being on staff at churches. I wasn't saying that at all. Okay? But many times they're hypocritical and they say, okay, yeah, they need to be at home, but then they'll hire them. But as many women wish they could be at home. And that's where sometimes it could be heartbreaking that they feel like we can't. You know, we have too many bills. You know, we have a mortgage. And I know most women, if they could, I don't know if most, but a lot of women, if they feel like they could stay at home financially, they would. Sometimes other situations arise where the husband is disabled and the woman has to work to make the income. There are those situations. But many times a woman wish, I just wish I could be a keeper at home. You know, there's nothing wrong with running a business. We see women in the Bible. Sour purple. Proverbs 31, women working out in the field. I know women in our church. They run the business from home. Many of them, they're not always at home the whole time. Their home is their primary responsibility. But they'll go out to the marketplace. They'll go buy. They'll go resell. Those are noble. Those are wonderful things. So don't ever feel guilty or shame because you're doing that kind of work. Okay? 
But have the heart to be open to Lord. I'd like to be a keeper at home more. Lord, could you help open the doors? Could you make this path possible? And we as husbands, to not to put the burden, the financial burden on our wives. And they're saying, you know what? In society today, we're in a two-income world. But that does not mean we can't follow God's plan. That we can see God, God bless. Noah couple, they, they've been married for about six years or so. Both were working full-time, and they were miserable. They're working, they get home, they're tired, they didn't really have a meal together because they're both exhausted, or they work different schedules. They read this passage of Scripture and they're like, you know what, God, we would like that. We would like to have that. God, help us to achieve that. And sometimes it means taking a second job for a while. Sometimes getting another job. They saw God promote them and she was able to quit her job. They had to change their lifestyle a little bit. Not um, by too much. But God's blessed. And so we as husbands need to make sure we're not putting the financial burden on our wife. That yes, there may be sometimes we're sharing that a little bit, but we must not put that weight upon them. You know, there's times, you know, my wife, you know, her and the kids, um, we homeschool and they go out to the different um, farmer's markets once in a while and they'll sell candles, they'll sell different things. She's working um, in, in that sense. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not putting that burden on her. She's wanting you help. She's wanting you to alleviate. But I'm always reminding her, okay, you go. But if you don't make any sales or not that many, don't feel that way. Don't feel that burden. Use that also as an opportunity to outreach. And so she gives out our church tracts as well to um, try get to just to try and be an outreach. Just try and be a blessing. So don't put the burden um, on your wife. You know, accept the responsibilities that God um, has given us. You know, let's not kick against the prick, so to speak. Ask God, you know, if we're not in that situation, God, help me in that situation. And you could be a mother that's able to be um, with your children more regularly. And um, so many blessings. You know, I asked my wife, I go, what should I tell the church that is a blessing about being a keeper at home? And she said, being overwhelmed and having mental breakdowns. <laughs> That's what she said. And so she was just kind of joking. You know, it's hard. It's tough. But, and she goes, but you can have a mental breakdown at work. Any job you do, you can be having a mental breakdown and being overwhelmed. But it probably is tough being a stay-at-home mom where that's your job, that's your responsibility. That's tough. Just a lot of work. My wife's going to be going to a ladies' meeting for like five days. It's going to be a tough job for me to fill those shoes. It's going to be a few weeks. Bring me meals, okay? Please, I'm begging for help. <laughs> it's going to be challenging. I might have to I still get some work done at the church, um, some work in business, and try and feed the kids. That's usually the hardest part is either feeding or cleaning. And educating them. God, do that too. It's challenging. I don't know how she always says, and that's where we as husbands, wherever we can help, we want to help alleviate that. Understand that anger is not the role of either spouse. Proverbs 21.9 says, 
it is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. The Bible says, it's better to be in the corner of the roof than a crazy wife. Okay, a wild, brawling woman. Better be live on the corner of a housetop. That's the Bible. That's not me saying it. Okay? That's the Bible. But then read on. Ten verses later. He, he mentions this even more higher. He says, it is better, in verse 19, it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. So now we just took it to another level. Before it's like, I'd rather just live in the corner of the housetop. I'll live on the roof by myself. Then it went, I'd rather be in the wilderness than with an angry and contentious woman. You know, it's neither one's role to be angry. The Bible says of the man, Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold a humble in spirit. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. And so often a woman meets a man because, um, you know, she had angry traits like her father. And so for some reason she's attracted to another guy. Mary's an angry man. Ends up being a snare to her soul. You know, anger is not to be our part on either. No man that's following Christ is going to angrily say, wife, submit. There's not going to be any need for that. I don't think I've one time have told my wife, submit. Maybe jokingly before. Probably done that. Okay? I wouldn't put that past me. But I've never had to say, no, you're going to submit. Not once. Maybe there is one time. Okay? I can't say I'm correct. Okay? <laughs> but you know, we don't have to have that kind of attitude. We don't need to have our decisions through anger. To love our spouse. And the husbands are to cast number seven, cast vision. We gotta wait for VBS, so I might as well just keep teaching while they're going on. Okay, ten more minutes. Okay, but husbands to cast vision for the family. You know, sometimes wives have a hard time following their husband because he has the tendency to make rash decisions when he's not walking close with the Lord. Wife sees her husband; he doesn't really have a close walk with the Lord, and she knows it, and she has a hard time trusting him in those kinds of situations. Other times, wives simply have a hard time following their husband because they don't know what they're following. Their husband has not cast vision. Their husband has not given direction. The husband has not verbalized his vision for their family. And that's important, men, to verbalize your vision. You know, there's been times my wife, we, you know, we were just having a discussion a month ago. And she's like, see, I was, why don't you have more vision in a particular area? And like, I do. I do have a vision for that. It's like, well, what is it? And I tell her, she's like, why didn't you tell me? She goes, if I know that's your vision, we can help fulfill that together. And that's often what we're guilty of, men. At least a lot of us. Okay? Maybe some of you got it down. But oftentimes, the wives get frustrated with following their husband because they don't know what they're following. 
They know who they're supposed to follow, but we're not communicating. We're just going down our way. We're just doing our own thing. We go to work, we come home, give our wife a kiss, tell the kids goodnight, and go to bed. They don't know the vision. We haven't verbalized it to them. And so a man may have a vision, but the wife doesn't know it, so she can't help implement it. So men, be involved in casting vision. Be involved in your children's education and discipline. Even if your children go to public school, understand that the buck stops with you as parents and you as a dad. That you're responsible for the education of your children. And if you perceive, you know, if something's going wrong at public school, sometimes you might have to make other decisions. But regardless where they may go at school, you're responsible for their education and their discipline. Ephesians 6.4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture. The nourishment. You're to be nurturing your child in the ways of the Lord. Be involved. You look at David in 1 Chronicles 28. Um, we won't go there. I think I'm going to preach this passage to the men when we go on our um, men and boys hike. But 1 Chronicles 28 talks about the building of the temple. And in it, you see, first, when David had the vision to build a temple, and he told the people, he made clear that the vision had come from God. He led the people out. This is from God, and he gave the vision. Second, he told Solomon that his role would be to lead the charge in building the temple. He's casting vision for his son. Third, he assured the people that this task would be accomplished because God would enable Solomon to get it done. That it was too big of a task just for mankind, but that God would enable him to. For if David gave his son sufficient detail about the temple that Solomon could visualize what it would look like so he knew what to do. Finally, after casting the vision, the king gave his son some words of encouragement. Gave him some words of encouragement. And I won't read that there because of time's sake. I've got other things to read real quick. But I'm going to give that as a challenge to the men when we go on our hike. I believe that's what the Lord's leading me to do. But we see there was a casting of vision, and then Solomon knew what to do. And likewise, if we cast a vision to our wives, to our family, they'll know what to follow, they'll know what to implement. Number eight. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 5. Eight's the last one doing so we're done Proverbs 8 I'm sorry not 8 Proverbs 5 but number 8 in your marriage keep the intimacy flaming keep the romance active You know, the Bible teaches for married couples to flourish in their sexual lives. Hebrews 13.4 says, We're whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Okay, but it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. 
That between the couple, between only between them two, not any other things, not pornography, nothing else, but between the couple, it's a wonderful thing, it's a special thing, and it's a thing to ravish in. Proverbs 5 and verse 15 says, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. That he's using a metaphor to describe the sexual relationship. That is, let this cistern be only thine. Let not others be involved, but only thine, and enjoy it. It says, let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thy my son be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Okay, keep other people out. Okay, many times the world thinks the Christians are boring because they believe in just being with one spouse. But you know what? That's the wonderful thing. It's a wonderful fulfillment. There's no shame. There's no guilt. And that God says, it's open for you. You guys are to be together. Enjoy one another. Lust after each other. Be satisfied. It's the Bible says at all times. Comparing it with water. And water is a regular necessity. And a sexual relationship. So there's no physical problem, medical issues that maybe prevent such is not to be defrauded. That is to be active. 1 Corinthians 7. And we'll close with this passage here. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife have not power of her own body, but the husband. And oh, sometimes the feminists, they freak out here. What do you mean a man has control over my body? You know what? It's not one way. It's mutual, okay? Let's read on. Just calm down. And likewise also the husband have not power of his own body, but the wife. Okay, it's a mutual thing. That the sexual activity between the two is not to be prevented. It's not to be um, to separate from mother. It says, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinence. There may be times, okay, where okay, you're praying and fasting about something, and you don't partake in those times. But the Bible says, just let it be with consent. So if one person says, no, I'm not ready for that, then we're to be there to be available for the spouse. That many times people may say, well, I'm just not in the mood as much as he or she is. Sometimes a woman has a stronger drive than a man. You know what? Usually it's the men, but sometimes the other way around. We're to fulfill, we're to strive to satisfy those needs, those desires. That even when you're not in the mood, that activity helps the bonding 
You know, when science, medical science, shows that more oxytocin is released and, it's, and it forms like a bonding. That it, it's a time of bonding. And wives, if you want to get anything out of your husband, ask them then. <laughs> He's going to give you all kinds of permission. You say, oh, can I buy this purse? It costs $200. Oh, sure, honey. Go for it. It's just a tip. Some of you may say, you know what, I'm failing in a couple of these areas. You know, of these eight points that are mentioned, I'm failing in some of them. I'm falling short. Who doesn't? I don't know anybody who doesn't. Okay? No one's arrived at perfection. But remember points two and one. Point two life is a struggle. Accept that life is a struggle. You're going to have struggles in these various areas. We're a strive for them. We're a strive for these eight keys. We're got, but we're going to have struggles. Number one, walk with Christ. You know, understand we're going to have struggles, but if we walk with Christ, it will help us in implementing the rest. And when we fall short, help us. You know, okay, walk with Christ. Accept that life is a struggle. Remember that you're a team. Be ready to forgive one another's um, faults. Um, um, have dates even when you can't. Embrace the Bible's roles for husband and um, wife. Husbands, cast vision for the family and keep the sexual intimacy flame. Will your marriage be a picture of Christ and the church? What a wonderful relationship we have, able to have with Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Just help us, Lord, You follow it. Or maybe some of the areas that we struggle in or we just don't feel like we're able to um, fill yet. But Lord, You help us. Give us the strength. Guide us. Teach us. Your ways are better than our ways. You said that Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That You know what is best for us. Even when it may be controversial today. Help us, Lord, to have marriages if we're married that are stable. That thrive. Help us to be a picture and example of Christ and the church. Your name, amen.